You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. Uh, I want to say hey to our guests, our special guests today, Joel and Jim. These guys are the hosts of the Art of Growth podcast. Hey, guys. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Grateful to have you. It's good to be here. How you doing? On this, what is it, Monday? On this Monday. It's a Monday. <laughs> I'm doing good now because I'm doing something fun, but uh, there's construction going on in my house, so this this is not fun. Um, okay. My what kitchen is now in my living room, so right now there is no fun happening in this household. <laughs> Jeez. All you just right. got to reframe, man. Yeah, right? <laughs> I get it. Jim, how you uh, doing, man? I'm doing good. I just hung out with my wife and had a wonderful morning and we had like a date this morning and then oh, cool. I, I just came in here a little bit ago. So no, everything's good in my world. Awesome. I'm way more relaxed. As he sips a monster. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you relax, right? <laughs> That's a, yeah. You have a different life than me, my friend. Um, uh, well, you have four children. So, you know. So you all host the Art of Growth podcast. Tell us what's the what's the origin story of that? Um, both y'all's personal journey with the Enneagram and how you all came together. Well, I'll, I'll tell my version of it, um, and that is, I was kind of burned out and starting to seek some some help, and uh, something I don't do ever. Um, and uh, as I was reading all these books, I think one of them referenced the Enneagram, and I thought, I've heard of this before. Hmm. And so I started looking into it again. Uh, it took me down the rabbit hole and I ended up deciding I wanted to get certified on a whim because I had no direction, um, just a sense that this was my next step. So I took it. And while going through certification, and there's a process after the classes where you have to do all these panels, you're interviewing panels of the same type, and you have to record them for your coach to look at and review. And Jim's like, well, hey, why don't we just throw these up on podcasts? You know, maybe a few people might be interested. <laughs> and uh, so, you know. you know, we did that. Yeah. And suddenly uh, we had all these downloads. And Jim, you have a better memory of the, the numbers, but it sort of shocked us. And we didn't know what to do with it because neither mm. one of us are really not very smart when it comes to this sort of thing of making a business out of anything. Yeah. So we're just like, what do you do with all this stuff? Well, this is great. It's interesting. It's fun. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. But it started a bumpy launch to a business. So yeah. 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 And I, I always say it was an accidental business. Like Joel always jokes around about the purpose driven life. And uh, he wants to write a book <laughs> called the accident driven life because everything, <laughs> everything's been accidental. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we threw it up. And, and the thing is, we threw up the whole first season at once. Mm. Um, so uh, an introduction, we recorded an introduction because I came from like a production background. I had done like film scoring and uh, produced audio books, that kind of thing. And so I, I was like, well, yeah, let's we had a, another podcast that we did that nobody listened to. And so we thought this would kind of be the same. <laughs> like we would put this up and like our anybody would listen to it. And so. <laughs> we threw up the whole first season and I looked like a week later and I was like, yeah, that's about what I expected. Like 200 people or whatever had listened. Mm -hmm. And then I looked uh, like two or three weeks later and it was over 7,000. And then I looked like a week later and it was like 20,000. I was like, uh, Hey Joel, maybe we should think about a second season. 
and you should get a website and you should like offer coaching. He's like, oh, okay. You think so? And so we like literally totally accidental. And so we didn't really form as a business and start where like I got certified and then, you know, having Suzanne work with us, starting to do corporate and individual clients and all that stuff till Mm. really the beginning of 2020 is when we started like forming as a business because some other friends of ours who are really good entrepreneurs and good at business like came along and said, hey, let me help you because you don't know what you're doing. We're like, that's true. Mm. So my dear friend, uh, Laura McCallan, who's incredible in podcast author, best-selling author uh, in sobriety. She wrote a book called We Are the Luckiest. Yeah, and she read that inc- last year. It's a good book. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. And she's the one who named The Art of Growth. So she came up with that oh, name wow. and, while we were sitting in Starbucks one day. Yeah. And yeah, and the rest mm. is history. Yeah. Heck yeah. Can we jump into the name a little bit? I mean, I'm sure yeah. like you're like, yeah, that's a great name. Let's roll with it. How has that evolved for you all? Like what is, why art and why growth? Yeah. What do those well, mean that's- to you? You na- you, I'm glad you're asking that question the way you framed it, because it wasn't just like, oh, that sounds cool. Let's go with that. That'll mm-hmm. be a that'll that'll get some views, you know, just because it's a sure. it's a fun name for us. It really spoke. And at least I'll speak for me. It, it spoke of the exactly how it felt to me that this was an mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was, you know, there was so much to it that that was it involved our uh, our intuition. It involved our. Uh, our senses it involves so much to it and that i don't think growth is a is anything that can be scientifically at this point anyways can be scientifically repeatable by these you know four or five steps or even 10 or 15 or 20 steps yeah there's something that happens to all of us where we could be doing some work and it's necessary you still have to do the work mm. even though the work doesn't always produce exactly the results that you're seeking mm-hmm but as mm. you're going along, and you all know this, suddenly one day something clicks and you don't know how it clicked or something comes your way and you don't know how it came your way. And so for us, it was this back and forth of, you know, uh, both an initiation and a receptivity to the way spirituality works. Mm. And so that's kind of the art piece of it. And then mm-hmm. the growth piece of mm. it to me is this is a deep value that I've um, I've always had, I think, since I was really young. I'm actually quite surprised that in the world that I grew up in, there wasn't as much interest in growth, mm. uh, even though it was a, you know, mm. a very religious world. It was mm. surprising to me. And yet that turned out to be something that is, I have value and I value more today than ever before. So, mm. yeah. Mm. I remember we were talking about different imagery and we were trying to describe to Laura, like what we were going for. And we said, we love the Enneagram, but we don't want to be tied to a tool as the only thing that we do because we have this broader perspective. We want to bring in everything. And I remember the imagery that came to mind was like, it wasn't like this perfect flower. It was like the, the hands that are dirty from being in the earth, making things grow and, and really believing that your, your life is not about an arrival. It's not about a specific moment. The thing that's running in the back of my mind with every person we meet and every person we talk to is that you are creating a work of art with your life. This is what it's about. You 
are an incredible work of art and the way you create your own life is like creating a great work of art so that when you look at the end of your life, you see this masterpiece where you've smeared the canvas at times and at times you've gotten really specific times where there were dark seasons of chaos and there were seasons of light and order and Mm. wonder. And so it's like, I want the scope of that in anything we do. And to me, even in a name, what is a name? It's like a reminder of like who you are and where you're going and what you're about. Right, right. So art, what I hear you saying is art encompasses the whole experience of the human being, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The, the And yeah, well, thank you, Jen. That's excellent addition to this because that's the, for me, the word beauty has become one of my favorite words um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it includes things that we view as imperfect. It includes mm-hmm. things that we think are broken. <laughs> and we don't always know if that's actually true or not. But it's no longer exiling the different parts of ourselves, but welcoming them back. And in the acceptance, in the allowance of that, uh, something changed. In fact, I think uh, you just posted something, Seth, uh, by Thomas Merton. And always, yes. I was like, oh, (laughs) that is good. We've we've used that line, but we actually didn't realize it came from Thomas Merton. Mm, uh, What What did you post? I love Thomas Merton. What did you What did you post? I don't know what I posted. While Seth is looking for that, it makes me think of one of our mutual friends, Seth and I, uh, who talks about fields, not factories, where factories is about eliminating variables, about finding the most efficient path that is predictable, where fields is about including the variables and knowing that it is the outcome is uncertain, but you have to learn to work with that instead of try to <laughs> avoid cover your crops from all the rain or something like that. Right. And I just, that's what I'm hearing as you guys speak about what the name means to you. Mm. Yeah. It also reminded me of guards versus gardeners, which a thing I've, I've had in some of the mm. poems mm. and everything's ever it, because I think growing up in a, in the church world, everything is seen as like, you have to be careful. You have to guard something like something wants to be taken or something mm. wants to be messed up and we have to defend theology, defend God, defend whatever. Mm. And I'm always kind of like, you need to def- like what do you? <laughs> it's like we are we are gardeners, not guards. I want to watch. Mm. I want to watch things grow and be a part of things, and that means thorns and weeds. And I even think of the the parable of Jesus. He's just like you know you've got to the weeds are going to grow up with the crops, and then we're going to sort them out later. Like, but sure. just just be out there, just be in there, and and, yeah. and make things grow. Well, this isn't a Thomas Merton quote, but there is a Car- Carl Rogers quote that I am a big fan of. He says the curious. Par- the curious paradox is that when I can accept myself just as I am, then I can change. Because there's so, there, to mm-hmm. me, there's so much about real transformation that needs to be whatever is the hindrance is usually being avoided or denied on some level. And you have to be able to embrace it, and not condone it. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, acceptance is not condoning and I, or resignation. I think that mm-hmm. often gets confused. But I think it's right. acceptance or embracing the fact that this is true of me right now, but I can't become anything different until I say it. You know, mm. there's there's power in that, you know, so. Oh, that's a that's a really good point. And I think to the fear that a lot of people have, which is that if I accept, am I <laughs> condoning, am I acquiescing, yes. am I giving up in some in some way? Um, so I think it's a really important point to make that. No, yeah. we're not. We're just looking at it before 
you know, I've, I've used a, a dumb illustration mm. of like you walk into the room and at first the lights are off and you're tripping <laughs> over stuff, right? Yeah. And then you flip the light on and you realize that things are in a kind of chaos, mm. right? But if you take the pause before you start going crazy, um, you might discover something new. You might discover a different way of even organizing than you had before, you know? Mm. And we're so quick to have, we're so resistant sometimes to chaos in our lives that we're just well, immediately, you know, back to that, uh, to that previous order when mm -hmm. maybe life is trying to push us beyond to a higher level of order. If we can stay present to that just a little bit longer. Yeah. If I could add to that analogy a bit, sometimes I've been in a room trying to be very careful not to stumble and fall. Mm. And then I turn on the light and I'm like, there's nothing in this room. <laughs> <laughs> like it's all yeah. in my yeah. imagination. I'm tripping over my own feet. It kind of brings us to, um, you both have expressed that you are a part of, um, you have been a part of, or are a part of some sort of spirituality. How would you, in your own definition, define spirituality in psychology? Like the work of spirituality and the work mm. of psychology. <laughs> this is like the two pillars of the well, narrative tradition. Like there's three pillars and two of them are, mm -hmm. are that the psychology mm -hmm. piece, I think, and the, uh, definitely the spirituality piece. Um, yeah, Jim, your thoughts, what do you, Oh, I, the first thing that came to mind is I remember like, um, when I was very much in Christian world and they, they kept using this word soul, they'd always talk about the word soul as, and it was almost like this disembodied version of yourself. And then, as, as I like, we got more into Greek and I like did some of that stuff. He like, uh, this word is suke. It's like where we get our word psyche. And it's like so much of what's going on in the internal world. It's not an other, it's an in and understanding that the psychological and the spiritual are not separate realms, just like this, the natural and the supernatural are not separate realms that we like, the, we, there is not nature. And then like the man-made, like everything is actually, we are part of this nature. Like these are all one things. One, these are one things. <laughs> I said one things. <laughs> that that actually, uh, that checks out. Um, <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> but it, it is, it's all one, it's one package in my mind. It's not a separate component. And actually mm -hmm. I think what we, one of the things that goes wrong is when we fraction ourselves into these different components that do not exist. As and they become ugly. When we do that, they become ugly. Any mm -hmm. of these things, you know, when you separate out psychology and try to make it mm -hmm. strictly that, it becomes ugly. It doesn't actually work. And, you know, when you try to separate spirituality, which sadly, totally. we've all been part of those circles where it's like, nope to mm -hmm. this, nope to that, you know, it's just all yeah. what we perceive as, as you know, spirituality yeah. or religiosity and which is what I what it's more of than than say spirituality, but it becomes something that's really not healthy. It's tough to be integrated, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a lot easier to separate out. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, for those of you who want to nerd out on uh, on the brain, Ian McGillicris is to uh, the master and his emissary, absolutely brilliant work. Um, but that the bra left brain does want that. It wants to separate things out. It wants mm. to carve things. It wants to know things in their reducible mm. way, while the right side of the brain is much more integrated. And we have both within mm. us, but we tend to prefer, you know, we tend to prefer the left sides oftentimes. Yeah. So. It makes me think of one of my favorite lyrics. I'm forgetting the artist, but he, the lyric is, you're doing it wrong, dissecting the bird to find the song. Mm. Ooh. Wow. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's good. Powerful. It's so good. And what, what are we doing when we're dissecting? I mean, <clears throat> we're killing things, honestly. Either it yeah. desperately needs fixed in surgery 
or you're literally killing something to figure out how it mm. works. Yeah. And then I think that's important. That's a very important step to understanding the world. Like you understand a butterfly by dissecting it or a frog by dissecting it. But if you're going around dissecting everything, you're, you're literally rendering it <laughs> no longer to be able to evolve and exist as the mm. thing that it actually is. You're pinning it down. Which ties into what you guys were talking about before, about like acceptance has to precede growth. You can't, mm. you know, you, you actually have to accept as it is if you don't. And because we see this all, like, and I'm sure you guys have seen this too. When people um, are rejecting themselves, they're like, I have to fix myself. If that's their starting point, that is exactly what they're doing. That's what we're all doing. And we all tend to do that. We mm. end up trying to dissect ourselves. And the mind is such a meaning-making machine that we create these mm. interpretations, psychological interpretations, spiritual interpretations. And all of it is some kind of a dissection where acceptance is not the starting point. Grace is not the starting point. It's I have to change or I have to get fixed or there's something inherently wrong with me. That becomes the starting point. As long as the starting point, you mm. are dissecting the bird to find the song. Yeah, on some level, I feel like there's either indirect or direct versions of how we condemn ourselves. And condemnation only ever reinforces and oppresses. It doesn't allow us to become anything more than what we previously have been. So indirect or direct condemnation, I think, or judgment, you know, the inner critic, how we're, you know, allowing it to th reinforce the, 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 the construct that we're living in, or there's a mm. condemnation that's still happening there or a judgment. Mm. Um, and the only way is, mm. I think, like Jim just said, acceptance on some level, mm. which which to me is a relaxing, right? This is what we're, anytime we're doing this, mm. is there's no way to become anything more than this. So that's why the spiritual aspect has to work in tandem with the psychological aspect. So I, I like to look at the Enneagram through understanding it as a categorical and a dimensional, both and, both, both of those. So you need the categorical to help you open to the dimensional, right? Say more about you that. Can't, what, what does that mean? Explain that a bit more. Yeah, so the category is how we label you know, how, what our, our egos kind of are flavored with, our type. whether that's our Enneagram type or not. Okay. Uh, but you have to, to label it first, or at least it gives you more of a handle on whatever the infinite is that is your capacity. Mm. Yeah. So Does that makes sense. M it, McGilchrist says a ton about that. And, and mm. it's, it, it, yeah, it'll and blow friends, your mind we, away. We do this. Yeah, you, do this you must've been hanging out with him. <laughs> His stuff on that is, uh, it's, it's crazy because it's both, he says, he says you can't have one without the other. You have to yeah. actually have the particular and the particulars within the universal and the universe yep. is within the particular. And any yes. separating out of that does not work. Um, you know. Totally agreed. Um, I want to bring this in, and I've sort of mentioned these words before, but I, have you heard of the apophatic and the cataphatic? Yes, yeah. for sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the cataphatic is to name is to put handles on something infinite. We're talking usually it's talking about God, right? Mm. It's to name something. It's to put uh, attributes to something so that we can understand it. But the apophatic says to name something is to negate something. So you also need the ability to 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 be able to hold things loosely so that you can understand beyond your conceptual mind. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. this goes to the positive and negative of practices. Yes, it's just, totally. It's everywhere. Everything you think about has those uh, those components in it. You know, I think of the, 
ancient world with there was a sort of purity mindset that uh, began to emerge where you in order for that, you know, the more spiritual you were, that meant you were further away from the earth, the dirt. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'd, you'd have these structures that were built and, and the pharaohs lived in them and, uh, and the priests lived in them. And the purer the stones and the material, the less dirt it had in it. And that still is within our minds. It's still mm. something we think about. Like, I, yeah. I need to get rid of certain things in my life immediately in order to, you know, become mm. what I'm supposed to be. And the, the ability to have and to conceive of spirituality being the mixture of everything together and, mm-hmm. and allowing it to sit for a bit and, and to pause for that um, deeper wisdom mm. to arise within us that then gives a sense of greater order. But it is, like you said, you still have to have, okay, there's now there's a new order, right? So that means there's categories. Yep. And then you got to hold those categories loosely because it's going to take you to another stage at some point. That's going to yeah. be, and to me, that's growth. Mm-hmm. And the failure of growth is to failure to recognize when the stage has ended and it's yeah. time for you to, to move on to the next. That to totally. me is the, that to that's me, good. that to me from, a, from my history, my, my, I'm raised in the church got an MDiv from seminary, the scriptures to me, that's really the big issue is the failure to transcend. It's the failure to recognize this stage is past and you're still trying to hold on to the previous one. That's the big issue. I think yeah. that's happening there. You know, if someone asked me to, to, to say what spirituality is, I can only talk in stories because, mm-hmm. because it's so hard to name what that is. Mm-hmm. It does not, not involve psychology. Mm. It does not not involve the sciences, yeah. the hard sciences, the soft sciences, you know, it involves it's it's all of it. But I, th- I think that what it is, is it's a disposition. Uh, fundamentally is my, my my take on it. It's a disposition towards uh, growth towards the awareness of how small you are and how big the universe is, and kind of an uh, uh, of an awakening to the to the soul to the to the deeper parts of who we are awakening to beauty awakening to hope awakening i mean mm-hmm. how do, how else do we describe those moments of transcendence when you're right. sitting there and you're looking at a sunset and you're mm-hmm. struck by that and tears begin to flow from your eyes and you're just looking at this thing what's happening how do you, how do we psychologize that how do we how do we put scientific language to that the best thing we can do is say i don't know something happened and something's mm-hmm. happening in this moment to me that's that's how I describe spirituality. Um, deeper love, deeper justice, you know, greater justice, I should say, for for the world. I mean, these are things that are, that to me are very deeply spiritual. And we know it when we see it and we hear it. That was great, Jim. That was yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, so if we could backtrack just a second. Cool. So uh, I don't think we've specifically said this. You guys are both uh, certified then in with what tradition? Narrative. Same. Yeah. Right. And did I, am I remembering correctly that one of you guys have done some work with, what, I, what's I name? did with Deb Uten and Joel Deb, did with yeah, right. Helen Palmer. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how, I'm curious, how have you guys seen, what were the connections or the, the distinctions or the differences between some of your, your trainings? Have you seen those overlap? Well, have there been, how have you guys managed kind of your, both of your study with the Enneagram? I know what Jim's going to say, but go for it. Well, Jim. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I honestly think that our prime uh, area of study has been our panels, the people that we've talked to, mm-hmm. the clients. Like yeah. that is totally. that is way 
informed our perception of the Enneagram than the schools we've been to or the books we read or anything else. And, and Deb is uh, narrative certified, right? Yeah, right. she comes from that yeah. same tradition. So, and like, why did I decide to study with her? Like we um, were talking, we had her on the podcast to talk about spiral dynamics because we had been talking That's about right. an overlap between Enneagram and spiral dynamics. And we didn't think anyone else had ever been interested in this. And we found that she was right at the time where we were saying, I think we're going to be taking on some mm-hmm. corporate clients and maybe I should get certified too. Because I'm very much the autodidact. I much prefer to study everything apart from any kind of a system or formal structure. Like I don't tend to go that direction with anything I've ever done. People ask me like, cause I had scored like several four length, full length feature films. They're like, did you go to music school? I was like, no, I just, I just do things and I, I like to learn on my own. But you know, then there's a, when you're doing a business, you need that formal structure. So it was just kind of like, oh, this, this, this is a perfect, you know, kind of opportunity. But as far as what has informed us the most, it's this tradition that the Enneagram has that it goes back to self-reporting, people saying what it's like to be them. And we will always mm-hmm. hold that as the most important thing in our learning about the Enneagram or anything else. What about when you're, uh, and it's obvious that somebody is definitely not the type they think they are. How do you guys handle that on panels? Oh, uh, and it's happened. <laughs> We've yeah, had people on yeah. our panels that, you know, it, pr- pr- particularly I think in the yeah, early the first two seasons, uh, yes, not really after yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After that, we've we, we figured we'd do a little bit more, you know, interviewing beforehand. The thing yeah, that yeah. other people would say, well, isn't that obvious? Yeah, well, not for me. So, but yeah, we started interviewing them and, and really understanding, making sure that they understood their type. Also, what's interesting is how much it's changed over the last few years. Like when we started, there weren't that many people who knew about the Enneagram and they weren't them. And this was only 2017, 2018, you know, right around the time I was getting my certification. And all of a sudden now it's people have, people know the, know a lot more, you know? Um, so we find that there's a lot more who are qualified, but when that's happened and we've had people who don't know their type, I will gently make some suggestions, you know, and I learned this from, I have, I have such high, high, high regard and respect for Helen Palmer and the school did the narrative Enneagram, amazing teachers there. I could, I could list them and tell you about each of them and how they've impacted my life. They're just hugely impactful people. And they taught me this, you know, I, I would watch somebody on a, on a panel who was there to be certified, who I'm thinking, boy, that's tough. I do not see that as their type. And I look over at one of the faculties, uh, faculty <laughs> members and they'd gently say, well, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I remember thinking I had a different um, dominant instinct and I said, yeah, I think I'm a social seven, you know, and Peter O'Hanrahan just said, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible. Sure. And I said, oh, come on, come out with it. <laughs> and he says, no, you might want to, you just, you might want to consider the sexual instinct. I just, I feel a little bit more, you know, fire in you and a little bit more of that. And hmm. so it was funny. And I Turned out he was right, but the way he framed it was not a, you're not yeah. this, you're that. It was a, oh, sure, you might be. I mean, really, ultimately, you have to know that. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you that. And because of that, I think we insist on, both of us insist mm-hmm. on, we're not going to tell you your type. Mm-hmm. What we're going to do is help you to uncover that because the discovery and the journey itself is that important. It's as important as knowing what you're doing. It's not about getting the answer correct. It's about taking the practices about taking the steps of discovery. 
And as you do that, that's, that'll set you up for life because that's a lifelong, you know, um, practice. So, mm. um, yeah, so we do that occasionally. Um, but yeah, if someone's, if someone's clearly not their type now and they want to be on our panel, we'll say, why don't you consider this, uh, this type possibly and, and see if that fits, but we're not going to put them on a panel if we don't think that they're. Yeah. 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 And this is kind of an aside, sure. but one thing that we've told people before when they're in that process of discovery, that it's more important to know your work than your type. So mm. a lot of times when people come to the Enneagram, especially in the early days, it seems l less happening now uh, because there is more of an acceptance of like every type. But it, I really thought at the beginning there were certain types that people didn't want to be or people in certain circumstances they didn't want to be certain things. It's still hard for some people in certain arenas to accept that they have like the sexual instinct, for instance, or something like that. Like it's hard to see. So some people, they almost have to start with an adjacent number to in order to like do some work and actually get into mm -hmm. it and then realize, oh, I think I'm actually this type. Because honestly, I think for some people, if they saw their type in all of its glory right off the bat, they would be just so overwhelmed that they might shut down. And I know that happened to a friend of mine. She read, mm. she's a type one and she was rich, reading Richard Rohr's book mm. on the Enneagram about the type one and he's a type one. And she said, I shut the book and I couldn't look at the Enneagram for a year. And um, I get it. Like, because when you see certain things about it, especially if you are, you know, a self-critical type, you really focus in on what's wrong with you. You just gravitate towards all those sentences and that's what stands out on the page to you it can really cause an emotional shutdown, which is why we talk about this idea of acceptance. And we've it's come up several times, so I want to clarify one thing about acceptance and getting to know your type and yourself entirely. When we use the word acceptance, we don't mean the cheap version of like, you're all right, I'm all right, whatever you say, everything's fine about you. That's not acceptance, that's acquiescence. Acceptance is this is who I am right now, this is where I am. And we say your, your mm -hmm. type is not your destination. It's the you are here spot on the map. This is your starting point, understanding that this is where you are right now. But this is not the definition of where you must you will become. So wherever people are, if they understand their type or they're not sure about it, just be right there, man. That's cool. It's good. Yeah, so this actually leads us really well into kind of addressing the theme for us this season, which has been story. Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically knowing your story. And then once you know your story, you then can begin to uncover what stories you might need to drop, mm -hmm. right? The thing, the way that you've identified or limited yourself, right, to a specific narrow collection of habits, um, and then understanding the stories of others. So knowing your stories, drop how to drop, what stories to drop, and then understanding others. So one of the things we wanted to ask you guys about, uh, just to get your take on, was through that lens of story and Enneagram, Kind of what 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 hits you? What what uh yeah? What comes up for you around that? Hmm. That's a big question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um. Wow. Yeah. I could take it in a bunch of different directions. <clears throat> I love open ended questions the most. So. <laughs> well, it's almost very true to the tradition, right? We do that when we type people. We have these huge open ended yeah. questions to see where they take it. So mm. this will be right. see where Joel takes this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Could be, well, you yeah. know, I'm not, you know, I'm not shy. I'm not going to, just like <laughs> I dive in. I love this stuff. I think when I, you know, when I first started with the um, training, the certification program, there was a part of my ego. And I love how Richard Rose says, you have to reclaim 
parts of your ego sometimes to let go of it again. That there are parts of yourself that you have maybe exiled away prematurely that you have to welcome back. And that was very much part of my process was, oh, that was part of my story. Oof, I don't like that part of my story at all. So I forget it, you know, and as my type, I, I just want to look at the bright side of things. So I forget the dark side. I forget the negativity. I forget the painful parts. And if I do remember them, the way I describe them is void of any emotional connection to it. So I can, I can talk about a past story and like matter of factly, even with some laughter with it. So the reclaiming of parts of my story was really going into some of the pain and feeling it to some degree all over again, but separating out some of the interpretation. That was a big lesson I had to learn was mm -hmm. how much interpretation I make of past events that were painful and which just adds to the pain. It just makes this, the pain into some serious suffering, you know, and, and so able, you know, welcoming back some of those stories and then being able to recognize that there were some, some limitations I had that, um, I had to let go of as well. You know, part of, part of the funny thing about being a seven was recognizing that things I was working on and trying to fix weren't the real problem. Mm -hmm. And and then I started realizing, I think that's probably true for a lot of folks out there. And like my wife was like, no, that's not what I, that's, that's not the problem. This part, that's the problem. Could you, you give know, us an so. example? Well, yeah, like, um, like my 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 deciding to be funny at different times, oftentimes is is at the wrong time. So that's true. So I would do that, but to shut that off as a problem, which I really perceived as a problem. This is one of the stories mm. I told myself for a long, long time. Uh, raised in a very conservative, rigid upbringing, with where laughter and play was not taken really well, I I had to learn how to survive. So. I repress some of that and try to be serious, right? So sevens, we want to be taken seriously while still being able to be funny and playful. But that part I had to, I had to really shut down for a while. And I did, I did to my, to the best of my ability for a number of years and realizing that that wasn't actually what I was, what, what was needed to be shut off. It was just recognizing that when I'm going to that as a means to escape something difficult, it's probably going to be inappropriate. <laughs> so I'll, get, I'll give an example. So I love making my son laugh. He's 11 years old and he loves my humor. He is funnier than me by far. He's got an incredible sense of humor, very quick witted. And so he's brushing his teeth and you know, 11 year olds don't brush their teeth very quickly. At least not my son. It takes forever to do anything. And so he's in the bathroom. And my poor wife is trying to get him ready for bed, which is like a, it's, it, it, it's a, it's a massive undertaking. So she's getting him ready and I'll walk by the bathroom and I'll see him and I'll do something stupid just as I'm walking by the bathroom. <laughs> and he starts laughing and he turns his head and he looks over. And a couple of times my wife will look over at me and go, stop, you know, like she's parenting two kids. Mm. And then I ask myself, it was that for me or was that for him? Mm -hmm. I realized, no, that's, that's for me in that moment. So while my gift of play is good and it shouldn't be exiled the way I did when I was younger, mm. it's inappropriate if I'm going to it because I want to have fun. Yeah. All in just by myself. So mm -hmm. I tell all other sevens like, look, 
you're here to throw a party, but make sure that everybody's welcomed and is having a good time. Don't do it for yourself exclusively, you know? Hmm. And so this is part of the work is just having to recognize that was a story I told myself that isn't true. I can welcome back the humor. And I remember laughing so much during certification, but hmm. I thought to myself, I, I, I was, I felt like I was, you know, transported into an, a, a new dimension. Like I could be myself fully. Nobody knew me out there. So I could be myself and reclaim some of those parts and then discern what parts were, when was these parts appropriate and when they weren't, you know? So mm. that was a lot of my work, I think. That's, I love that. Uh, it reminds me of, um, you know, a lot of previous understanding of like the, of ego work was to kill it off, uh, which reinforces it. Right. And, and I'm, I'm reminded of, I think in quotes, uh, as you may have discovered online. Uh, but Richard Rohr talks about how the ego is not meant to be killed off, but for a light to be shined on it, to be exposed, to see it for what it is, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very different thing. That's the acceptance, the real acceptance mm -hmm. of, mm, totally. you know, how you're trying to, to navigate this situation, how you're trying to manage it, manage anxiety. And then I think about how you guys are familiar with Mario Sakura, where he, he talks about the Enneagram types as strategies. You know, he says for the seven striving to feel stimulated and he works with the strategies in a way to uh, appeal to the ego to leverage what you're trying to get, but to be real with it, right? So like, how are you trying to get freedom in that situation? Well, how can you get more freedom by trying to understand what you're, you're doing here? Uh, so engaging yeah. the truth of the situation is actually how you're going to get more freedom, how you're going to, rather right. than right. you're getting the faux version of it, right? Yeah. But, but that entails exactly what you did, recognizing you're getting it for yourself and not actually for your, for your son. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that. I'm glad you brought up what uh, Mario said. I actually never heard him say that, but that was something we've stumbled on is, is recognizing that the strategy is the way we're, the, the need that we have is not a bad pro It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, its intention is to be met, but just the strategy by which we use to get that met is oftentimes very flawed and does not mm -hmm. get totally. those results. Because mm -hmm. from my understanding, it's actually, we're trying not so much to meet the core need of our type, as much as to not feel the pain yep. of not getting that need met. And there's a million ways to do that, as we all know. <laughs> That's the reason why we, you know, we have all these addictions that we can go to, because it's, it's not actually trying to get the need met. It's a strategy, but it's just to kind of reduce the pain, soften the pain a little mm. bit. And mm. so I'm glad you brought that up because that's the good news in all of this, right? It's like, look, it, you, you know, you, you can get some of this, this met, but not the way you're going about it. And it's actually working against you. This is the way we miss so, the mark, yeah. if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Jim? What was the question? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I went, I went yeah. in a different direction uh, and I started yeah. to think about, because yeah, yeah. well, what you were asking is you're like, you know, understanding your own story. And, you know, as you move forward, realizing what do you need to drop? What do you need to let go of? And... It took me back to the adiphatic, cataphatic thing. The adiphatic, there's things you need to dismiss, and there's the cataphatic things you want to include and embrace. I was just talking to my wife about it yesterday because she's in the school of spiritual direction with uh, sustainable faith, and they were talking about adiphatic, cataphatic, and so much of that comes from like cataphatic is like the Western tradition. You need to include, add all this stuff in, and the Eastern tradition mm -hmm. is the adiphatic of like letting it go. And so I've always been torn between these worlds, right? And, and really my own motivations behind that. So when it comes to this, like understanding my own story, I really think a lot about the what to drop and what to include 
because I'm more likely to drop things. I'm more likely to disconnect myself from something and say, I don't want that. That's not a part of my life. That's not a part of my story. And I think because of that, I, yeah, that's where I, as an aide, I really fell into selective vulnerability over actual vulnerability mm. because for a while when it came to, you know, being on a public podcast and stuff, I didn't want to admit the tradition I came from because mm. one thing as an eight is I hate being interpreted or people to jump to conclusions about me. And so I'd rather leave certain things out of the, my story so that people can't jump to those conclusions. And so mm. I'm really quick to drop things. Um, it's actually harder for me to include them, to to say what I say to clients and people all the time now in my group coachings and everything, which is that everything belongs, that it's all part of your story, that this is important. This is an important part of who you are because I have to, I have to say that to myself. There's certain painful things and there's certain, <laughs> here's what I caught myself doing. I caught myself for, for a few years in my early thirties telling my story in two different ways. One was like all of the, like the highlight reel, like all the great things that happened. And I would use that in selective places. And then the other one was like the painful experiences, that version of the story. You know, <laughs> to be an eight, you had an early loss of innocence. You had some pain pretty early on. You had some things that happened to you. And so there's that version of the story. And I, I really realized that, that I was separating these two stories out. And I really wanted to bring them together. I want to learn how to integrate. That is like the prime word for me around my story these days is I really want to integrate like the, the who I was, even though the pieces may not fit anymore, they're still part of my story. They're still part of what formed me. They're part of the, the seasons I've been through, the landscape I've walked, the sand and dust and snow that is a part of me that, is, that formed me in every way. And it's very easy for me to divorce myself from certain parts or to only focus in on certain parts or to use other parts as an excuse as to, uh, and I see that a lot in the Enneagram world, like using the type or an experience to, to as an excuse as to why I, I'm just this way and I can't do anything about it. And I don't want to give myself any of those opportunities. So I think when it comes to the story, I want to own all of it. I want to own the whole thing. I want to be honest about the whole thing. So I want to, I want to read you this, this thing that I share in, in group coachings. It's a poem from my book, but it's, uh, this is something I always read in those groups because this is what I want people to get about their story. I tell people, mm -hmm. this is a sacred circle where everything is welcome and everything belongs. Come sit in the circle where there is nothing between us but the distance we've traveled and the fire that keeps us warm. In this circle, your story is sacred ground. We will hold your failures like fine china, your tears and trauma like crystal, and we will celebrate your victories as if they were our own. We will be a compassionate witness to the twists and turns, the peaks and valleys that has formed the one before us. Our affirmation reminding you it's not over yet that the worst of you is temporary, the best of you is permanent. Come in and be, for there is solid ground beneath you and fresh air all around.
we had a listener send us a question a while ago, actually, about Encanto and Enneagram and trauma and how they overlap and are related. So we know you all did something Encanto-y. Yeah, I'm like, I can answer the Encanto <laughs> internet because I did a, a video after seeing the movie. I'm like, oh, my God, there's a central character that doesn't know their gift. And they're surrounded by eight others with magical powers that exactly line up. <laughs> um, but as far as to the trauma piece, I'll leave that one to Joel. So how how are we how are we doing this? Like, we'll do- <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Joel rolls well, his eyes. Let's right? start with the video piece. Let's let's go. Well, let's I, go. Uh, I didn't even put it honestly. Silly. I didn't even put it on our um, YouTube channel because I was like, uh, this is this is not represent the art of growth. This is just me after seeing a kids movie with my daughter running into my studio the next day and recording this video off the cuff, where I was like, mm. this mm. just seems so blatant uh, that how like how is this not. Mm. I mean, the characters just seemed so perfect. You have three sisters that seem like the body triad. Mm-hmm. When I when I heard the song "Under Pressure," uh, or sorry, "Surface Pressure" by the older sister, she's like has to be tough and she has to be strong and all this time. Like I was crying because I was like, this is like an eight anthem. Mm-hmm. And my wife was crying at Mirabelle's song. You know, I'll I'll stand on the side as you shine. It was such a nine kind of an anthem. And then she has the sister who has to be, everything has to be perfect, right? Everything I do has to be perfect. And then you had all these other characters that were like similarly lined up. And I was like, this is just weird. So I don't know. I didn't hear the Encanto question, but like when I saw the movie, I I flipped out a little bit because I was like, this is bizarre. So at the most basic thing, the instant thing is like what we were just talking about, how type is a strategy. You know, we need, we're trying to use it to solve something. You know, Suzanne, who works with us, she always says that we heard every message growing up, but certain ones stuck. Like every the messages of all the types were around us, but we really gravitated towards certain messages. So I don't know that it was so much the circumstances as the, as the predisposition to attach ourselves to that in our meaning making machines of our mind. But I don't know where would where would you take this, Joel? Mm-hmm. Like. I, yeah, I, I, at this point, I mean, the approach I'm, I take is very much a combination of nature and nurture. I don't think that we can separate those out where none of us can. We're certainly not experts in that field. Uh, but even the experts in the field, you know, are, are divided and aren't entirely sure themselves as to what mm. is the nature versus nurture. We, we feel like I personally believe that every person is born with a sensitivity, a predisposition, whatever, yeah. a lean and that is like the, you know, it comes with assembly required. You know, there's a, there's something there, there's material there, and it's different from person to person. Mm-hmm. And parents with multiple children tell us this all the time. It's, you know, oh yeah, I knew my child was this, this type from birth almost, you know, I just mm-hmm. could, there was a, at least I knew they weren't this mm-hmm. kind of a, <laughs> this type. And sure, you're surprised along the way. And I'm, I'm not an advocate of trying to box your child in at all. I think it's recognizing what are they telling you? What's, are you listening? <laughs> are you paying attention? What are they, what, what's coming through? Yeah. But I do think um, trauma does impact for sure how you present yourself. And mm. in some cases, some trauma will cause you to lean more into to the lower side of mm. your type. I mean, you'll, 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 
press the pedal down. If you're already the type that kind of withdraws and observes and stands back as a five, you might you might do that even more. Conversely, you might do something different. You might, you know, be, because of maybe an instinctual the the instinctual stacking, you might have a different uh, a different approach. I know some some type nines who are the who are narcissists. You know, it's it's a it's not what one would think, but because of trauma, there's there's some that have turned into that. I know some who chronically are sleeping around, having lots of affairs uh, as nines, you know, and they're the ones hurting their partners. Now, people would say, well, that's that I just can't imagine that that would be. It. Yes, but because of the trauma <laughs> as a child, there was a certain response that they had. Doesn't mean that they're not a nine. They still have all the features of the nine, but um, but there are certain behaviors that might stand out as a little bit anomalous from what you might, hmm. you know, anticipate from from the hmm. type. So again, I think it's it comes with assembly required. I think nurture does play a role, but nature does too. And as Jim said, the interpretations you're going to make are going to be pretty consistent with your type. You know, if you're sensitivity is already to not feeling like maybe, you know, you might, maybe you are sensitive to love in the exchange of love, the reciprocity of love as a type two. So because of that, the message you might interpret from a caretaker, a parent is, oh, you, you, you don't love me or, oh, you don't want me. Right. Whereas the sibling might be even a, an identical twin might look at that and say, no, that's not at all what was said. Mm. This is what was said. And this happens all the time. And so I think that's more of the sort of the predisposition that comes, the, the, the sensitivity that comes through as opposed to the necessarily the strategy by which you yeah. then develop uh, to survive. Totally. And I think of the type as like a, it's a belief system in a lot of ways, like you believe certain things about how the way the world works or how you need to act. And the type is going to go looking for the com confirmation of those beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we even draw are drawn towards experiences that are going to confirm our type and confirm that belief. And so I think that's why it's so important to include our whole story and integrate our whole story because, you know, what are the things that happened to me that I had no say in? that I have to I have to actually look at how this informed and you know certain things about my story that I thought were just normal life but they are actually that was actually kind of messed up mm -hmm. that was kind of not normal you know and and being honest about that but then also uh, being honest about well I walked right into that relationship because it confirmed the things that I had in my heart and I I basically picked my own poison on that day. And I think we have to do both of those things. If we're not doing both those things, we're not really looking at the story honestly. Yeah. I like to uh, kind of piggybacking a little bit off of what Joel was talking about. I really like to say that a person is what contextualizes type. And I think people get those confused as one and the same all the time. And it's why I don't think it's helpful to say nines do this or nines do that. Because, right. because for, let's just take the nine. Uh, conflict for me for this nine is going to feel different than what conflict feels like for you. So you have to contextualize what conflict is with the, the archetype for the prototype. Otherwise you get stereotypes. That's kind of the three mm. that I like to use. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when you look at the way each nine, let's push this further. Mm -hmm. Each nine might interact or experience conflict. You know, I, I've typed some nines who have said, I've coached some nines who have said, Oh, I don't have a problem with conflict. 
And I was stunned by that. I said, what do you mean by that? And I was, oh, well, okay, that's interesting, right? So making space. And as they began to talk more, they said, oh, no, no, as long as it's not with me. I don't mind if these other people are having a conflict. Actually, I feel like I can come in and help with that. I've coached other nines who say, I don't like any conflict of any kind in right. any environment, you know, and I will avoid it. I've had some who say, oh, no, I have no problem speaking up to mm -hmm. those within my family system. No problem. Totally. I'll speak up and I'll say stuff and you know, it doesn't bother me. And others who say, no, I can't do that, you know, in that environment. So it, it is, it's really, really right uh, for you to say that, I think, and very helpful for many people to, to understand that, that that just... It, there's it, and this is frustrating, of course, because people want something that is absolute every single time with every type, and mm -hmm. it 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 doesn't quite work that way. However, there are consistencies, right, among among the types that you start mm -hmm. to pick up on, mm -hmm. and and that that's the stuff that we try to get at. But that's a, a bit more archetypal, as you were describing it. I think mm -hmm. it's well said, archetypal, and then having the prototype and then the stereotype. You know. Yeah. In the Enneagram community, there's there's this the thing that you're supposed to access all nine types, and once you access all nine types, then you'll finally reach the point, right? You'll be enlightened, <laughs> I guess, and all your dreams will come true. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we sell, people. Uh, 1995. Uh, um, nope. <laughs> and I think, I mean, in some ways, and kind of Encanto demonstrated this well is they each have their own particular gifts that they've been yeah. given that they have a, a specific skill set in that area and for them to try to be one of to try to finally get all the gifts it's just it's impossible number one number two it's you're working against the thing you only have so much time mm -hmm. right so do the thing that you're really really good at that you're sensitive to that you have passion for problem is the overdoing of that thing um trying to find it externally versus letting it express from internal um so there is uh, i would say there is no finality in finally we have our whole true complete full self once we have a b and c it is right. how are you continually from moment to moment from presence to presence how are you actually living into the, the fullness of what is right here, including the what is and what is not, the, the darkness and the light, the contradiction and the resolution? And that, that including, that transcending and including, is what we're talking about. There is no, finally, everything will be okay. I hate the word process. That's why mm. I use it a lot, because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise... <laughs> I got to trick myself some way. I got to push myself some way. You mm -hmm. know, I, I hate process with everything mm -hmm. in me. It's never been my go-to. But I have come to terms with, and by practice, not by, it's not my starting point. So mm -hmm. by the practice of doing it, it's, it's really the, the point, right? So people get worried about like, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Well, no, there is no there. Are you practicing? Are you doing the work? Yes. Then you're doing exactly what you need to be doing. Because like what you were saying, Creek, it, it takes, I don't know that there is an ultimate. I don't know that. If everything is growing, if everything is expanding, if everything is mm -hmm. evolving, then what is that thing? Mm -hmm. right? the, the, the only way we, the, the problem is, is when we stop, when we try to create some monument, some stage, some 
a rival, some institution <laughs> around that particular stage and saying, we have landed, we have arrived. This is the epitome of, of, uh, of your journey. And I, I, I think that's a problem. That's, that's fundamentally the problem I think that we're dealing with today in a lot of, in a lot yeah. of areas. Um, so I'm careful not to take this too far yeah. and go places where, yeah. <laughs> where we will uh, be talking well, for yeah, another three hours. So, yeah, no, I love that. Um, I love the kind of the direction you're going there. And I think I'm going to see if we can go a little farther with it. I, one of the ways that I appreciate looking at the Enneagram personally is through the lens of relationship versus identification. So how am I in relationship with all of myself versus how am I identified with limited parts of me to the exclusion of the rest? Excellent. And so, so that is to me what, what you're addressing here because another quote comes up. Gurdjieff says that all sin is identification. And then uh, I don't know if you've heard of Dan Siegel. Yeah. He says sure. all, yeah. all sin is born of denial of relationship. Oh, so relationship and identification. So this is, this is once you name it, you know, now you can become more than it. Mm-hmm. To, um, so to me, this is kind of what we're addressing about um, what it means to be not finalizing anything. This is the cataphatic again, and we yes. keep coming back to this thing. Right. But, but, but what it means to be alive is to be a process. We are always mm-hmm. this, this thing that cannot ever, you know, we're in step with the spirit, if you will. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And art, you might say. Exactly. Oh, gross. <laughs> you might say that. Uh, we're just going to keep dropping that over and over. I just dropped a fake mic. I just dropped a fake mic, and then I realized I have one. So. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I really like how you were talking about it's coming against finality, mm. that mm-hmm. there is a, a sort of finality thing. To me, anytime I hear anything that sounds like that, that's when I, that's when the bells start going off in my head that I'm like, cult, cult, <laughs> cult. Like, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. It's like, oh, there is this arrival point mm. no it's not it's not that it's this mm. but i really like that that's really helpful i think for people to understand the identification and relationship thing mm. it's because there is it, there is so much of like well i'm not we identify right that's part of identity is by what i'm not and like you know we <laughs> if you come from the church world you know that the what people say about the church world right now it's more known for what it's against than what it's for and i think that happens within us too that's actually w- one of our biggest national problems right now we are more identified by what we're against than what we are for that we are or that actually including these different pieces like it's to the exclusion it's like that's that's bad relationship even with the self exactly you cannot change a part of yourself that you hate mm-hmm. okay so let's take this identity thing right this is good Right. So you take this identity thing with yourself. You can also take mm-hmm. it into anything we do, politics. Mm-hmm. Identify with my politics more than I have a relationship with the people within it, right? This is this is this is conversation, you know, stealing it from of course uh um John O'Donoghue David and uh, David White, the the, mm-hmm. the conversation. And I love how he says no something to the effect of no identity remains. You can't keep your identity if you're having a conversation, mm-hmm. if you're having a real conversation. There's parts of you you lose, which is terrifying mm. and good. And then he talks about the relationship with the unknown. How do you feel about the unknown? Mm. Mm. Right? So some people immediately have, you know, that reaction. It's like, yeah, but that's what's coming, the unknown. That's what's always evolving and forming. And so the, these conversations, this relationship piece 
is in all directions. And when we're not in relationship, as you said, Seth, that's, that's the problem. It's that identification, the over-identification. Again, as you said earlier, this is all like the, the, the there's a, a certain sense of category you have to have, right? So like I hold my identity loosely. I think this, these are the components that make me up and, mm-hmm. you know, but I, and it, Jim and I have talked recently much more about transformation and growth taking place within community because there's so much individual work that also takes place in the self-help world that we're all a part of, you know, the sort of personal growth and development mm. world that we're all a part of. And <clears throat> some of that takes place in isolation. Like I'm doing my work, I'm doing my work. Right. But meanwhile, your circle really finds you annoying and finds you, you know, Tim. a piece of, you know what? So like <laughs> this happens all the time and then people turn off. Like I don't, whatever it is you're in, I don't want any of it. Right? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're you're not actually listening to us. You're not hearing mm-hmm. us. Certainly, there are certain groups you have to kind of start to distance yourself because there are people that don't like growth and don't want you to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. that's different from you're growing and you're listening and you're recognizing, oh, that's my impact on you. Oh, okay. I understand. And I'm separating that from intention because maybe my intention isn't that, but still my impact is this. So I recognize that and I own that and I'm, I'm sorry for that impact. Mm. And I recognize mm. that it's, it's been, it's been negative. So I, I thank you for sharing that. And there's a sort of humility within that process, but you don't, I don't know how I'm being experienced. And sometimes the feedback, like my wife's saying, you're making me feel rushed right now. Mm. Well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just standing here. I feel you. Then I, I think I can blame her right now and say, that's on you. Or I can tune in and ask myself, is that what's happening in my inner self? Can I feel that energy that need to move? Mm-hmm. And is it, as a seven, is it like really high right now? And I can tune in. Oh, yeah, it is. It is actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I am feeling rushed. So then I that's part of the growth, right? So, so it's all of that, I think, is so important. If we're in relationship, we're actually able to grow, I think, in ways that we can't if we're alone. Totally. Yeah. And to Creek's point about Encanto, like the the point is not to be everything, to like have all of the gifts within you. It it is in the context of a community. Mm. Like wholeness, wholeness is never in the context of an individual. Totally. (laughs) That's good. Totally. And I don't think you can find, I don't think you can find wholeness for yourself or unity of the parts within you without it being named on some level externally Mm. so that you can find the acceptance within. Like the unity has to, you know, they worked in tandem, I do think. Mm -hmm. Mm. Absolutely. Y'all, thanks so much for engaging this conversation. It was delightful. And we should do this in person or something yeah. at some point. If we didn't already <laughs> say this, where can where can our people find you? The art of growth.org. <laughs> dot dot there it is. There it is. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, and I was on which episode? Hey, listen, you no, got the listen sexual to this nine. One. Seth was on right. You were on the this sexual nine a, panel, yes, were you? Yeah, the sexual nine. Yeah. Yep. That was awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. That was so good. It was fun. Yeah, that season still stands out. Like as I think one of the bigger contributions we've actually made to the Enneagram world is having those 27 panels mm-hmm. of every subtype. I don't know that 
anything that I've read or experienced so far has taught me as much as that season did. Just feeling the energy of like a particular subtype and how they use language and how they interact. It was just so fascinating. So if anyone like checked out our podcast, like what's the first thing I should check out? I would say check out the Mm, instincts panel first. Uh, That season is just, it's just going to like help you so much understand the people around you understand the instincts, but also just the nuance within that, that type. It's just fascinating. Right. Right. Well, anything you guys want to just leave us with before we go? Any, anything come up to the surface? I, I can only say that I am so grateful for the two of you and for the work that you're doing, because I feel like we share a very much a similar kind of heart, mm-hmm. a spirit, whatever we want to call it. You know, I, I read your posts all the time, Seth, and I think, man, I'm tracking with you so much. <laughs> um, and uh, so I really dearly appreciate knowing mm-hmm. that I, we're not alone. Jim and I are not yeah doing this. And, and even though we hear from people all the time, it's just, it never gets old for me to run into folks like you, mm. um, to have these deeper conversations about growth and spirituality. And mm. so thank you for this gift. Own your story, all of it. It all belongs mm. and it'll all be worth it in the end. Good. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. That, that feels like a really great um, way to transition. Um, to some silly shit. Who was that, by the way? That's <laughs> <laughs> enough of that serious stuff. Dot <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I, I yeah. thank you for sharing that, Jim. That was great. Because um, that was that yeah. was you, yeah. correct? Is that, that's what I heard. Yeah. Oh, okay. that was you. Okay, great. Yes, wonderful. Um, when, when can we? When can we it's see on, the book on? It's on. Uh, it's shows? on Amazon now. It's called "And I Would Lift You," and it's and it's mm, also at theartofgrowth.org. Nice. <laughs> oh. Shameless plug. Nice. Promo. <laughs> can you put some theme music right there? Uh, great, well, <laughs> that, consider it done, sir. Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, th- yes, this we are getting into the silly, but also it does mm. tie in great. Oh. Finally, everything will be okay. Bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> Own your story, all of it. It all belongs, mm. and it'll all be worth it in the end. Good. Let's go. Let's go, motherfucker. <laughs> and you put like really saucy titles <laughs> like, like in, this, in this episode <laughs> sexual dysfunction in the animal kingdom <laughs> <laughs>
you get a comedian uh, to just keep like inviting people on that don't know what's happening, and then the entire podcast is just them trying to figure out technical difficulties. And they're like, oh. "All right, well, that was the oh, podcast." That'd be amazing. <laughs> oh my god, that would be amazing. I, I like, there's a part of me that legitimately wants to do that. <laughs> The biggest April Fool joke ever. Oh God! And poor Joel's like, I don't want to relive that ever again. That was the worst. <laughs> that was traumatic for me. Oh no! Need some therapy now. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Joel. Thanks for pushing through there. Uh, sorry about all that. No, it's no worries, man. Oh man, that, that made me laugh pretty hard. I got <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if we laughed this hard uh, with with guests uh, since uh, Tom Condon. Oh gosh! Well, Who's that that was more nervous laughter. Like what just yeah, happened? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> He's an enneagram teacher. He's been around for oh. a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those fuckers are nut jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we actually may be onto something. Yeah, uh, we've, we've had our own experiences. Oh so, yeah. yeah, we're recording oh, now. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about that. Screw, screw what we were gonna. Yeah, we were yeah gonna know, right? story. Yeah. Let's, oh man! Let's let's swap guest war stories right now. Yeah, that would be great. Let's just Actually, talk about how uh, all Enneagram teachers are like full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you guys ever been to an IEA event? Yeah, I have. It's like the island of misfit toys. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's a strange. I mean, I was like, what is going on? It was one that had somatic stuff, and they're like, okay, we're gonna just now dance and. We're just gonna roam around in circles and dance among each other, and I was like, okay. I wonder yeah. if Joel was in the same go. workshop Abram and I were in. I think we... you. I think you. Well, I don't know if it was the same one with uh, Orpheus, uh, but it was. Oh, I didn't go to that one. No, That's, <laughs> I imagine that oh. would be strange. Yeah. Our yeah. pelvises the... were swirling bowls of water. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, you didn't go to the orgy one? That was even weirder. <laughs> No, that may have been more normal. At least it would have had a point to it. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that. If there's a, if there's some end result to it, but oh man, <laughs> I just it got to the point where I couldn't make eye, t- eye contact with Abram across the room. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great moment. <laughs> I just yeah, have to yeah. endure this and get through it. Yeah. Mm. yeah anyway. Drew, Drew started as my my uh, youth pastor, so that was great. <laughs> just seeing him across the room. Yeah. No. Until- we oh, have whirling. Our, our deconstruction journeys have taken us some places. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I was, so I was talking with, I don't think you'd mind me sharing this. I was talking with Mario Sakura yesterday, and he's like, I have no problem with people like tying Enneagram with religion, with spirituality. He's like, what I have a problem with is stupid. Just don't just be stupid. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just do it well, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, True man. Words. Mm. Anyways, yeah. what are we anyway. what are we doing here? We're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about stories with these guys. Okay. We should talk right. about nothing. It should be the episode about nothing. Called it's the like Seinfeld, Seinfeld, Seinfeld the podcast. Yeah. Seinfeld. <laughs> like this became nothing. <laughs> Yeah, um, I may never recover and get to anything serious. I'm just warning you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, 
All right. Okay. All Abram, right. Abram, you should get us started, though. Yeah, it's going to be great wherever we go. Honor uh, I think this is the best way to start it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll just well, fade th- in after the word fuck. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> it's quite the cold open, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just drop right in. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Um, well, what we thought we would do, guys, I know Joel and I were emailing there briefly about uh, kind of some of the main direction with the story. So our theme, uh, Jim, I don't know if, if that was related to you or not, related to you or not, but we, we've been talking about for our season three story, which is, you know, knowing the sto- our stories based on our Enneagram type, um, knowing what stories to drop because of that, you know, what becomes unhelpful, mm-hmm. and then kind of the stories of other people, you know, compassion. Um, and understanding. Uh, so that's been kind of our theme, and we've been interviewing people with that. But we we thought we'd have you guys on to kind of you know introduce our listeners to you guys, what you're up to with the Enneagram, what you do over at Art of Growth, and then kind of get your your take on kind of those three aspects of story. Yeah, with the Enneagram. How's that sound? That sound all right? And go. <laughs> uh, We're done asking right, questions. Uh, we Proceed. Begin? Where do we begin? Yeah. Oh dear uh, Lord. Are we? No, are we'll, we doing? We'll set it up properly. Yeah. But... We'll are we that. doing the Encanto thing? I know we discussed that, but we had a listener reach out about us commenting on Encanto. And well, that was something I accidentally did and I didn't think anyone would watch. Mm. Like when we started our podcast, I did a video on YouTube because immediately after seeing it, I was like, oh my God, this is mm. it. And so I ran into my studio the next day and recorded a video and I threw it on YouTube. And um it's it's already over like fifteen thousand views where i go through and break down all the characters and i was like wait because it just jumped out at me Mm. um it was kind of unavoidable and then and now a couple other people have put it out with different types and they're all wrong so you know they are well say we yeah we should we can ask about that and get that in the mix too and we can even put a link to that video yeah maybe maybe let's do that at the end to uh it's a good idea create a uh, cliffhanger kind of okay a cliffhanger uh, <laughs> yeah I, so, I personally wasn't a huge fan of Encanto I'll be honest mm, the, well there wasn't a big enough antagonist uh, was go oh. ahead and kick him off the call and then we can continue <laughs> <laughs> you're dead to me you're you're out okay. dead to me cool Creek cool, 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 uh, cool. is always looking for more darkness and evil yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Creek you should right. know the Enneagram the the line of darkness is always within ourselves. We don't need an external antagonist. Aji, <laughs> down the Thanks. center of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Did I sound wise there? I was yeah. trying to, you know, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hey, let me uh, let me go ahead and kick us off. I'll just do a brief welcome to you guys, and then kind of ask you to introduce yourselves a little bit. Yeah. All right. Okay. Here we fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're not well, welcome, <laughs> welcome everybody. Welcome oh, uh, to to Joel and Jim, hosts of the Art of Growth podcast. Grateful to have you guys. It's awesome to be I, here. I think I'm glad to be here. <laughs> we'll find it's out. It's been a winding journey to get here. Oh dear it? lord! Mm. We started the call about uh, 30 minutes ago, yeah, and we're yeah. just now we're just beginning. just rolling in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> So uh, we would love to kind of kick things off by helping our listeners get to know you guys just a little bit. So would you guys mind telling us a bit about yourselves? Maybe where do you call home first off, but some of your background and uh, 
how you uh, we like to say over here, maybe you've heard it before, but how you invited the Enneagram into your heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, Joel. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. like how you phrase that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I grew up here in uh, Boston. Here is Boston for me. Um, in the and uh, been here all my life. Um, and kind of stumbled onto the Enneagram about six uh, years ago, and um, it uh, came at the right time because I was burning out and um, wondering what I really wanted to do with my life. Um, and then that's when I kind of fell in love with the Enneagram uh, and decided I wanted to take the next step. So I went for certification and then um, still did not knowing what I would do with it. Mm. Um, and some by some uh, fluke, we uh, decided to put some podcasts up on while I was going through my certification. And um, suddenly we found ourselves starting uh <laughs> the art of growth <laughs> so um, and when was that yeah what year 2017 i think is when when i was doing the certification so i think it was probably fall of 2017 jim or maybe um spring the first of podcast 18. uh the first podcast season launched uh june of 2018 okay. so and we launched the entire first season all at once oh yes oh wow, For those okay. that like to binge wow yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we didn't I didn't know what I literally didn't think anyone would listen to it. And so I edited the entire season because I, I was like, Joel said he had to do these for a certification. And I thought, well, let's just throw it on the Internet and see if anyone and anyone listens to it. So wow. I, I edited the entire season, put an entire season together and stuck it uh, on iTunes. And I was like, yeah, maybe a couple hundred people will do this. So I threw it out there and it was like you know, 200 the first week. And then I worked, I looked like two weeks later and it was like 7,000. I looked two weeks later after that, it was like 20,000. I was like, uh, Hey Joel, <laughs> you, you might want a website. People might reach out to you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like it's so everything has been reactive. It was like, uh, I guess we need a website. Uh, I guess we need a company name. So we went to my yeah. friend, Laura, who's an author and she came up with the art of growth. Nice. Wow. Okay. Joel, did you mention what certification you were doing? Yeah, as the narrative Enneagram. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, very good. Cool. Very good. Yeah. Really and awesome. There. Um, well, when I first invited the Enneagram into my heart, <laughs> I knew he'd like that. <laughs> I um I did it because I thought it would help me understand what was wrong with other people. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Classic. To be completely honest, like I'm a type eight and I um I just thought, well, this will help me deal more with other people. Mm. I honestly didn't expect it to have such an effect on me uh, mm. or force me to see my own shit in such to such an extreme uh, yeah. extent um, to realize and start seeing patterns going all the way back my entire life of mm. what I did and why I did it. And when I didn't think I had a choice and then all of a sudden I started realizing like, oh, my goodness, there's so much possible here. I could be so much more intentional with my life than I have been uh, to this point. And that's when it really started feeling like doors were opening, like so many things that I had been learning through some, you know, a lot of pain, which for a lot of eights, uh, they, they don't sort of have an awakening until they go through some kind of like physical crisis or 
emotional crisis and mm-hmm. um you know because i had been working for a long time for about seven and a half years as a mega church worship pastor hmm. uh, in cincinnati and i was going through like my own deconstruction before there was a word for it like so no one was talking about that and certain things weren't making sense to me and i started wondering what was going on and then i got um let go from that church and i was like so lost in the wind for hmm. you know a couple years so I think when um, Sarah working with Joel and then when we came across the Enneagram and well, we knew about the Enneagram, but when we really started investing time and energy and in, in, into understanding it and Joel did a certification, um, uh, it really started to work on me from the inside out. And that so was Joel's the one I that go, brought oh. you back into the fold. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs> That was a joke. So, oh, was a joke. I'm holding. I'm holding back so many. <laughs> yes, jokes. I know. Yeah, sure. it, I know. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin with that one. You so. got me wound yeah. up, and yeah. then I started going there. <laughs> where, where, Jim? Where did you? Uh, did you do the narrative as well? Um, I it was through the narrative tradition, but I did it through Deb Uten, uh, oh, because right. oh, yeah. we were we we were into our second season. And we were started thinking about wanting to do some corporate coaching. Mm. And I've, I've always been like an extreme autodidact. I prefer to learn everything alone or in relationship. I don't really like formal programs. Mm. But I said to Joel, I was like, I should probably do this just so we have like the check mark for <laughs> businesses and stuff. And he goes, yeah, I've been thinking that. I think you need to do it. I was like, all right. But then we had uh, Deb Uten on our podcast because mm. we had been talking about this connection between Enneagram and spiral dynamics. Mm, yeah. Yep. And um, no one else that we knew had ever talked about it. And then we discovered that she had actually been working on it for years talking about it. So we interviewed her and I, and I was looking for a program and I was like, okay, well there's this and there's this line. So let's just pull them together. I'll do this program and then we'll be good to go. And it's funny. I, I had our, I, I was officially certified <laughs> like three hours before we did our first corporate gig. <laughs> <laughs> just in the nick of time. Yeah. Just in the nick, I was official just in the nick of time. Right. Yeah. Update that slide deck accordingly. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And Joel, what awesome. is your uh, well, dominant Enneagram? Uh, I'm seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah. So we have a seven and an eight in our midst. That's great. <clears throat> good and then suzanne who we do a lot okay. with is a type three uh, so we're gonna go into a little bit. Oh, oh creek. creek you're coming you're kind of cutting out there and you're oh. very delayed creek <clears throat> sorry oh so i was just gonna say the um and then suzanne who we work with is a type three so we have a oh, uh, people my people yes so the 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 three of us working together is like the we got the we got a head heart and body type and we have a self-pres type a sexual type and a social type yeah and you're the most assertive podcast on the internet then probably (laughs) (laughs) you can use that as your tagline uh, yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) most assertive (laughs) big (laughs) hormone well maybe yeah um good so creek can you even hear us all i heard come in from creek was big hormone big hormone that's all i heard (laughs) is that gonna is that is that going to be on the podcast? Because I know what you're referencing. So yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> starting a little bit of a pissing match here. 
Oh, tempting, tempting. Okay, yeah, I know, right? Stick so let's <laughs> well, let's move on. So we um for listeners who haven't listeners of ours who have not listened to the Art of Growth podcast, just tell us a little bit about what they should expect if they go and listen to an episode or two. Mm. Well, Seth's been on one. <laughs> That's right. So maybe he could That's share right. his experience. Yeah. Well, that was one of the, I think, neatest contributions we've gotten to make to the Enneagram world so far was the entire season on instincts. So we did 27 episodes of panels uh, where we had a whole panel of each um each of the dominant type with the dominant instinct. And so we were, we were originally called the Enneagram panels podcast because a big thing that we do is have panels. um, So we want to stay close to the root of the Enneagram that's supposed to be based on self-reporting. And so we wanted to consistently bring back this idea of panels where we have several people and we ask about what it's like to be them so that we can actually learn directly from people of that type. Okay. Right. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. So, and we've talked about panels on the podcast uh, before. So if listeners aren't super familiar with it, they should at least have, have an understanding of what generally it is. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. And it provides a great opportunity to um, experience kind of the panel experience without actually having to be in the room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Yeah. Good. What have you guys seen? Did um, you guys hear me yet? Oh, Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. I'm working off of my hotspot right now because the internet doesn't reach up here. I'm in California. Now we can't hear you. We keep losing you. <laughs> you're you're a robot right now, Chris. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, just go with the map. Oh, go ahead, Abram. Yeah, we're gonna just gonna we're gonna keep going here. Uh, so, what have you guys seen? Um, is there like a specific theme or a se- season where where people have been uh, chiming in the most, like listening to what are people interested in the most when it comes to topics or or stuff that you guys have been talking about? Have you seen a theme or anything? Oh, several themes. I mean, we feel like. Yeah, we did the instincts, and that was huge. People mm-hmm. wanted to know a lot more about that, so. And now we just uh, are completing our Driven to Drawn, and that has been huge too. It's been language that uh, a lot of folks have have been able to access and and, and use. Um, so, um, yeah. So it's it seems like it seems like people move though in society moves in, in a certain flow. Like you mm. know, you start to have attention go in one direction, and then it shifts and, and goes in yeah. in a different one. So. Um, we're not so much interested, I mean, Jim and I being both, um, kind of agenda setters, <laughs> sevens and eights is we're not, we don't tend not to chase or follow, um, what's, mm. what's out there. Yeah. Um, but what we've done is through coaching, a lot of it has come through our individual coaching. So even the, the concept of revenge drawn came from my constant conversations with clients, you know, and, um, and realizing how much of our type is actually trying to avoid something. Right. Oh, sorry, Joel, one sec. Are we, did we lose recording because Creek we lost Creek. fell off? We lost oh, recording. yeah. It says, oh, wow. oh, it says not world. recording. This may be a test run <laughs> for <Wow>. future days. <laughs> yeah. So we can get our shit Crazy. together. Sorry, guys. That's all right. <laughs> 
That happens. So does someone else need to be the host then? Oh, because now it's recording again.